Greetings, brethren. It's good to be here with you this morning. Before we, before I start preaching, I'd like for us just to take a, a look at a couple of verses in Psalm 77. I'm not going to be preaching from that text. But um, every time I come to San Antonio, I have this, my wife and I both have this flood of memories. Uh, it's not limited to our visits to San Antonio. We often sit in our home three and a half hours north and west of here and uh, remember you, pray for you. And I was preaching yesterday, and by the way, I agree with you, brother. I recommend particularly all the message. I'll, I'll not speak for myself because I'll let another man testify to that. But uh, all the messages in the conference were a tremendous blessing to me. But John Green's messages, particularly, were a just a bomb from Gilead for me. And uh, so I echo my brother's sentiments. And out of the mouth now of two witnesses, a thing is confirmed. If you can, go online and get the... Uh, messages uh, from the Hilburn Drive Grace Baptist Church Conference, I uh, would encourage you to do so. I was thinking about the great privilege that God gave me to be once again in this pulpit. Uh, Brother Kyle contacted me and asked me if I would be here. And of course, with that comes all the flood of memories. And Brother, I don't know if I have a style. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, brother. I was going to ask for that. I don't know if I have a style. And I don't know if my style has changed. <laughs> You'll have to ask somebody else. All I know to do is just preach whatever God has put in His Word. But one thing is sure, there's only one truth. And that's found in the Word of God. And as Christians, we have one authority. And that is the Word of God. And I was raised in religion that had the Word of God plus the voice of men, and the voice of men superseded the Word of God. And when God saved me, it was burned in the depths of my heart that I would never again listen to the voice of men that spoke against the Word of God. They have the right, if they want to speak, to speak. But God's Word is final authority in my heart and in my soul. But in Psalm 77, in verse 11 and 12, the scripture says, I will remember the works of the Lord. It is good for us to remember the works of the Lord. Preachers are simply instruments in the hand of God. I had the great privilege of founding, and if that's what you want to use the term, you want to use this church, it was a great privilege. But Paul reminds us in the scriptures that some sow and some water, but it is God alone who gives the increase. God alone. And when it comes time to think about what God has done, I will remember the works of the Lord. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. He's thinking back about what God had done in those previous days. And then in verse 12 says, I will meditate also on all thy work and talk of thy doings. I remember that God saved me in the summer of 1975 when I was 24 and I was invited to go to the church and we met 
my wife and I, Mike and Joyce Wilbur, 1975. That's a long time ago. How old were you, Michael? And how was? Let me let me ask you. You were five, and Jennifer four, I think. Three. Oh, I've been telling everybody four. I need to correct my story. Yeah. That's a long time ago. 1975. We moved across the street from Danny and Doris Price. 1979. When I started uh, our first, the first church that the Lord let me have the privilege to start. We met the Walkers, Casey and Cindy Walker, in 1981. And the Christians in 1983. Well, we moved, we started the church and they lived across the street. They didn't know that we were meeting them, but God knew we were going to meet them. And Tagawa's 1990. I was coming back from the first missionary trip to India and stopped in Hawaii. I was sick from being in India and tired. And I wasn't sick and tired, but I was sick and I was also tired. And the place where I was staying gave me a place of rest. And I got to meet Gary and Lynn. And all your boys born then? I don't remember, brother. Don't ask you, ask your little wife. <laughs> Bobby, we determined it was, what, 90 or 91 when our paths first crossed up in the St. Louis area? We call that providence. God ordering things. The paths of people crossing here and there and... God bringing their lives together and making a difference. Not because necessarily the preacher, but because God had a purpose. God had a purpose. Long before I was even saved, God had purpose that Community Baptist Church would come into existence in July, the last Sunday in July 1983. Nothing happens without God's purposes and plans being unfolded day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. God ordering the steps of His people. When William Carey was on his way to the boat to go to India, he happened to run across a man in his pathway who knew he was going to India and they talked briefly and he asked this man, "Uh, what is your profession? He said, I'm a printer. And he said, in five years I'm going to need a printer. Pray about coming to India. And he did. He came to India. And William Ward, I think, was his name. Or which was... Another one came a few years later. I've forgotten the name. God knows the names. What we call a chance crossing of paths led to a lifetime of ministry in India with... the. Bibles in different languages being printed. God doesn't do anything by chance. All things ordered according to the good purposes of our God. Open your Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Anyway, I've spent some time this week remembering and thinking about how good God has been to all of us. I want to read all ten verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, if you'll open your Bibles there. 
The Word of God says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord having received the word in much affliction with joy and of the Holy Ghost, so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which was which delivered us from the wrath to come. Father, I pray Your blessings upon the reading of Your Word. May even the reading of it be profitable to our hearts and to our souls. And may you take your scriptures, open the eyes and the ears and the hearts of those that are here. Feed us with the finest of wheat. Help us, Father, in the few minutes we have to open up this word. Bless us with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Oftentimes we read the the opening verses of a book like First Thessalonians, and we get quick past the first verses so we can get down to something that we're interested in. But every word of God is pure, and every word of God is important. And when the Apostle Paul introduces himself and Silvanus and Timotheus to this church of the Thessalonians, he is teaching them something. He is showing them that he is first God's appointed messenger to the Gentiles. That these Gentile people, these idol-worshiping people, had a God-appointed preacher to come to them and preach the gospel to them. He is also uh, teaching them that one man alone cannot accomplish the work of God. That it was Silvanus and Timotheus also in conjunction with Paul that he was teaching them that the work of God involves many people. Now, we cannot accomplish the work of God alone. We're individually. We must function in a group. I appreciate the exhortations that I've heard this morning already about the importance of a local church. How important, how incredibly important a church is for the expansion of the gospel into the whole world. How important it is for the spread of the gospel outside the four walls of this building. It takes more than just one man, more than the pastor. It takes a committed 
group of people. Paul and his company had been sent out of the church at Antioch. Paul labored together in a group of people, training men as he went along. They then gathered up their group of people and went training others. In his last epistle to Timothy, last epistle that he ever wrote before he was martyred for Christ, his exhortation to Timothy was, find some men who can train other men who are able to train other men. We need laborers. I stay in touch with a lot of missionaries. And the common question, the common plea, Brother Pat, pray for laborers. I have, of course, been praying for laborers for many, many years. That God would raise up men and women to stand alongside their men to go and preach the gospel. He is speaking to a church, a local church in a physical location. The Thessalonians, located in Thessalonica. These people were not raised with Christian values. They were idol worshippers. These people were not raised with an understanding that there is only one true and living God. They were idol worshippers. Their children have been raised by their parents to be idol worshippers. One generation after another, after another, had raised them to be idol worshippers. They were worshipping false gods. They had no concept or understanding of the one true and living God. I have been in the ministry since May of 1979. One of the great burdens that I carry as a preacher of the gospel is to watch children raised in Christian homes taught about the one true and living God turn their back on truth and embrace false gods. You say, well, I'm not embracing a false god. I'm not embracing any god. Yes, you are. You are, if you are not worshiping the one true and living God, this morning, you are worshiping an idol. You have somewhere in your heart, and I appreciate that exhortation from Sunday school, somewhere in the depths of your heart is an idol you prefer above the one true and living God. These people did not have the privilege that you have. I was raised in a home with no religion. The first time I picked up the Bible to read it, I was 24 years old. I had no idea who God was. God saved me by His mercy and taught me something about the one true and living God. These Thessalonians, this church now of true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, of true worshipers in the Lord Jesus Christ, were not always that way. They were a people steeped in darkness, and bound in their sin. And God sent a preacher to them to preach them. It is a great mercy when God sends a preacher. To preach the gospel. That men may hear that there is a way to escape the damnation of hell. It is a great mercy when God does that. 
I've had the privilege to preach in the mountains of Mexico and to stand in villages where they were worshiping demons and to preach in India and to stand in villages where they worship their ancestors. I've had the great privilege of being in some dark, dark places to declare that Jesus Christ is the light of the world who can save sinners from their sins. This is what Paul, Silvanus, Silvanus, and Timothy were doing when they came into Thessalonica. Now he is no longer with them. And he writes this letter. And his first words to them are, I thank God for you. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. I thank God for you. I am not with you anymore. I'm somewhere else preaching. I may not ever come to see you again. He sent, by the way, some men back to check on them to make sure their faith was standing firm under the great persecution that they were suffering for cause for the cause of God and truth. He wanted to check on them. He bore them in his heart. He wanted to make sure they were okay. But he was not there. But he wanted them to know that he was thankful to God for them. That they had been faithful. That they had remained faithful. And that, that God had planted a lighthouse in that dark, dark corner of the world. And how often have we prayed, those that were with me when we were first starting this church, Lord, that You would make this church a lighthouse in the dark corner of this world. That You would light a candle that would not go out. The work of the ministry includes prayer. You have the opportunity to come and pray. You have the opportunity if you're well and you're strong enough to come and pray. Do it. Don't neglect the opportunity to pray. Pray at home. Yes. Pray individually and at home. Yes. But gathering together as a church. Pray. Seek the face of God that God might do what only God can do and that save souls and build His church. Pray. Don't lose an opportunity to seek the face of God and ask of God what you cannot do, but what He can do. Verse 3 says, Remembering without ceasing. It's an amazing statement to me, I think. About that, I get busy in my life, and you do too, and sometimes we don't always have all the people we know that are Christians on our mind all the time, right? We have other things that are encroached upon our mind in our lives. But in his prayer, Paul is remembering without ceasing. At this moment, I'm remembering your work work of faith and your labor of love and the, and, and the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. I, I'm remembering without ceasing what God has done and what you are doing by the grace of God. Your work of faith. God has saved them. God has saved them. That means that God took unbelieving idol worshipers and gave them the gift of faith. Gave them the gift of repentance. 
gave them a new heart to love the one true and living God. And when God did that, and they repented of their sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ to the saving of their souls, their faith, that faith that God had implanted into their hearts, into their souls, that faith began to be active. And it continued to be active. And so, when I look at you and I pray for you and I remember you, Paul says, I remember your work of faith. You working, believing that God has a purpose for this church to accomplish His will in this church. You believe God has some purpose here. You've trusted Him that He has a purpose. He hasn't, that this is not an accident with God. Churches don't pop up here and there where the Spirit of God is. That is done by accident. That's done on purpose. And for a purpose. And if you're here this morning and you're lost, God has brought you into this place on purpose this morning. You're here by divine design this morning. You say, I, my, my parents made me come. Well, thank God for your parents. They didn't just kick you out on the street and say, you want to live like that? Go live like the devil. Go ahead. No, they're burdened and they brought you to church. Thank God for them. Well, I, I saw the sign. I thought I'd come by and visit. Well, thank God he, he brought you here this morning. We thank our God that you are here this morning because we understand you are here by divine purpose. This church should remember that God has a purpose. But more than remember, believe it. Their work flows out of their faith. Their faith in God, the one who's called them out of darkness into light. Their faith in God, the one who saved them from their sins. Their faith in God who called them to the work they were doing. Who has commissioned His church to take the gospel, to preach the gospel to all creatures, to baptize them, to instruct them and teach them concerning the things that He has taught them. They labored, believing that God had called them to the work. And they labored in blessing God for giving them that work. Do you thank God for the work that He has given you to do? Think about it, brethren. God may lay you aside. I think that's a teaching in the Scriptures. And not give you any more work to do. Oh, what a sad thing to think about. What a grievous thing to think about. But God has given us something to do, hasn't He? This church has not only a vision, but a mission. Not only their work of faith, but their labor of love. Their labor of love was revealed first and foremost by their love for the God who had saved them from their sins. This is the thing that lost people do not have. They love their idols. 
They love darkness more than light. They love their life as it is. They love that, but they do not love God. But when God saves someone, He puts within their heart a love for God. And because of their love for God, now they're involved in laboring for Him. But more than that, now their love for God has also spurred and created a love for their neighbor. Who is our neighbor? We will not be like the Pharisees and ask that question in a hypocritical way and their focus is only on their friends, the Pharisees. Our neighbor is every living creature in our presence. When I went to India, my neighbors were Hindus and Muslims and animists. And my love for them is what spurred me to preach the gospel. Your neighbors are right here in this community. There's a place you drive around 410, it's 52 miles, 51 or 52 miles. And there's a place over close by Roosevelt where there's a bridge. And if it's a dark, dark night, you can park on that bridge and you can face north and San Antonio is before you. I know. Because I used to go park on that bridge and pray. God... Those are my neighbors. There's a million of them out there. And we got a little church stuck in a, in a, in a wood frame building over there that has a burden to see their neighbors saved. Where are the churches, Lord? Where are the churches? Where are the men, Lord, that will preach to them? Do it sometime. Go stand on that bridge and look at San Antonio. It's three and a half million people now. Love, brethren, for God. Love for our neighbor is what motivates us to, to, to labor for our God. Brother Pat, I'm tired. I know you're tired. I'm tired too. I'm achy, brother. I know. From the bottom of my feet to the top of my head. I can talk to you about every pain. I can. I know. I bear in my marks the body of having spent ten years in, in my body the marks of having spent ten years in India. God is worth our labor. Knowing I, I, I'm praying and I'm thinking about your, about your work of love, faith and your labor of love and about your patience. It, I wish patience was something that we could learn immediately and get it over with, but it is not. We are learning. I am learning. Perhaps you have a handle on it. I don't. I am learning. Tribulation work is patience, so I know that when trouble comes my way, one of the purposes of God is to teach me to be patient. If you don't have any troubles, then you don't have any worry about patience. But if you do have troubles, then one of the purposes of God is to teach you to be patient. 
their patience had hope with it. The Lord was coming back for them. Their hope was revealed in the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to accomplish His will in their lives. And when that was over, He was taking them to glory. Their hope was involved involved in the fact that when the Lord Jesus Christ was through with their work, He was going to take them to glory and raise up somebody else to follow on in the work. And then He says, Brethren, I know some things about you. The reason I can pray this way for you is because I know some things about you. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. He says, I know three things about you. I know that you are brethren, and I know that you are the loved of God, and I know that you are the elect of God. And quickly, because I don't know what the time frame is here, but I'm just going to... Brethren, I know that you are brethren... I know, Paul testifies of knowing that each one of those in the church at Thessalonica, each one of those Thessalonians was part of the family of God. They were his brothers and sisters. He was away from them. He would never see them again. But they were brothers and sisters and he carried them in his heart because they were part of his family. He had preached to them. And they had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he would later write or to the Galatian churches and say to them in Galatians 3 and verse 26, Ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. As soon as they have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they had been brought into the family of God. And they began acting like God's children. And what happens with a baby is born. I notice a little baby over here. Just sitting there on the floor and looking up at me. That's a giant, right? <laughs> and I thought, I remember when ours were baby. They're a lot of trouble. Uh-uh, babies are, they're a blessing. But they're a lot of work, right? Sleepless nights. I know parents that spend sleepless nights over their children that are lost. I know churches, family and churches that spend sleepless nights shedding tears because their children are outside of Christ. Wives that pray and pray and shed their tears because their husbands are lost. Husbands that cry out to God that their wife might be saved. I know children who would pray and pray and pray that their mom and daddy would be saved. They want to be part of the family of God. You want your lost ones around you? You want to be part of the family of God? You want that? Children are a lot of trouble. You want new birth? You want God to save, let's say, 20 families and bring them in here? Unchurched. Children climbing on the walls, well, on the benches. I had a family one time. I won't say who it was, but their children. I was ministering to husband and wife, trouble. Children, I'm not going to say, children everywhere. And, and, and we're over in that building. And they're, oh wow, a swimming pool. Can we go swimming? 
climbing up on the baptistry and looking in. He said, oh, Brother Pat, what you do? I said, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. Uh, well, it disturbs things, Brother Pat. I wish to God that 20 unchurched families with six children apiece would be brought into this place and disturb it. We can minister to babies and young Christians. Brethren, loved of God. They had been loved of God from everlasting to everlasting. In Jeremiah 31, verse 3, the Scripture says, The Lord hath the beard of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. I can't fathom the depth of that verse that God before the foundations of the world would set His love upon me. And even in that phrase, there is a time indicated, but there is no time indicated with God. We can hardly speak of God without having some time thing, but God is eternal and so was His love. And Paul knew that if God had saved them, He had loved them with an everlasting love. And He had come to them in time to save them from their sins. And then He knew that they were the elect of God. Whether you understand the doctrine of divine election or not, it is in the Bible. And it deserves your time and energy and effort to study it. The word elect means chosen by God. Chosen by God. These Thessalonians, these idol worshippers, These who were steeped in darkness, who were pagans, who had never known anything about the one true and living God, did not know anything about the gospel. Among those people, God had some He had chosen from before the foundation of the world, and they needed to hear the the gospel. And He sent Paul to them and Paul's company, and they come into this, this, this pagan, dark corner of the world where it's filled with idols and they lift up their voice and say, those are not true gods. There is only one true God. It was a favorite message of mine in India to preach about the one true and living God among Hindus that believe that there are more than three million of them. There is one, that was a favorite phrase of mine, one true and living God. Why do you choose that verse, Brother Pat? Because I was dealing with idol worshipers. And God had chosen him a people there. Before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Well, how are they going to come? How are they going to become children of God? How are they, how are they going to come to know Christ? Well, a preacher needs to be sent to them. And so Paul shows up one day and he preaches that Jesus Christ has died on the cross as God's ordained substitute for sin, that God took the sin of sinners and God laid it upon His Son and His Son as their substitute and He judged Him in their place and He died their death and was buried for them and rose for them and His righteousness can now be placed on them when they call upon the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. 
And he preached that Christ is a substitute for sinners and that there's only one God and the only way back to that one God is through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and there is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and idol worshipers have their own way and they have their own truth and they have their own way of living and and that's why where some that are in this room are this morning. You have your own ideas about God. You have your own ideas about life. You have your own ideas about what truth is. And the truth is Jesus Christ is the truth. And Jesus Christ is the way. And Jesus Christ is the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Him. And that was Paul's message. And that was Christ's message. In fact, that's been the message that has been preached from the time that Abel got saved until today. That God would save sinners through a substitute. And so they needed to hear the gospel. And Paul says, I came preaching. And when I did, you received it. Not as the words of a man, but as it is in truth, the words of God. First Thessalonians 2.13 For this cause also thank we God. Without ceasing, Because when you received the Word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the Word of men, I'm sure there's some children here that are lost. I'm sure your parents have talked to you about Jesus Christ. If all you've heard is mama's words or daddy's words, you haven't heard enough. It's not their words. Don't get mad at them. It's God. It's God's Word. And these Thessalonians, these idol worshippers, their whole life is being invaded. Their whole understanding of worship is just falling to the ground in pieces. Their whole understanding of God has just been shattered. And they could have picked up stones and sticks and knives and gone after Paul and his company and just... Now that happens in the Scriptures. And just drive them out. But God was there. God was there. And they were hearing, and they were hearing. This isn't the words of a man. This is God's words. And I'm not rejecting the words of a man. I am rejecting the one true and living God. And they came to repentance. And they came to faith in Christ. We are wrong. We are wrong, they said. This is not true. What I believe is not true, they said. We've been lied to, they said. 
And now the truth is here. We can't let it go. We can't let it escape. We can't let these men leave. We need to know more about the truth. They embraced the message not as a word of a man, but as it is in truth, the Word of God. The very Word of God. And that was proof that they had been chosen of God when the Gospel came and they received it. It was proof, proof, proof that they had been chosen of God. There's much more here. Well, how long do I have? Let me just make a couple of comments that I'm through. Those who know me maybe think, yeah, no way, give him a couple of more comments. Our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power. And in the Holy Ghost with much assurance. And then also persecution came. We don't know much about that in this country. We know a little bit about it. But we don't know much about it. Persecution came. Why? Because they gave up their idols. In India, I saw children kicked out of their house by their parents because the child embraced Christ. Beaten. Literally, the village with bamboo poles driving them out of the village, beating them, blood on their back and shoulders and scalp, driving them into the jungle because they embraced Jesus Christ as their Savior. Here, in this country, that doesn't happen yet. hasn't happened yet. These people embrace Christ and immediately, immediately, a wife embraces Christ and her husband is an idol worshiper and she's driven from his house. A husband embraces Christ and the wife is an idol worshiper and he is poisoned by the food that her, his wife put before him the very next day. This man embraces Christ and he goes to work the next day and says, there's no place for you in this place. Children embrace Christ and they're driven from their home by their mothers and fathers. Here, children, listen, if you don't embrace Christ, your Christian parents love you and care for you and take care of you. In the country where I was at. If you did embrace Christ, you did it knowing that you may be killed the next day. The girl I spoke of that was driven out of the village, her mother wanted to see her. So she snuck out at night to go see her daughter. Snuck back in. Next night, not next night, two or three nights later, she snuck out again. See her daughter. She wanted to see her daughter. Her daughter's a Christian, but her mother loved her. Snuck back in. 
husband took a knife and killed his wife. You don't know anything about that, do you? Not in this country. That's where we were. That's what was going on. Here, you think you can just hear the gospel and just anything to do with that. I'm safe. I'm fine. I'm good. You know, I got my life. There they suffered persecution. Here you die without Christ and you go to hell. You may live to be a very rich person. Prosperous. Have houses and lands and all, all the things the world can offer you. But what does it profit if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? What profit is that? Why would you reject a Savior that says, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, when Paul showed up, he knew that these people needed a Savior. And when he preached, they embraced some of them embraced Christ. But it cost them to do that. It will cost you something. Not as much as it costs them, but it will cost you something. I know a young lady. I love her. I pray for her still. She professed faith in Christ. Her husband would beat her on Saturday night to forbid her to show up in church on Sunday and she would come anyway. Is that what you want in a marriage? As far as I know, the man is still lost. It's going to cost you something to follow Christ. You're going to give up something. Whatever you give up, don't give up your soul. Father in heaven, bless the Word of God this morning.